Welcome to the Canicuck Institute podcast, where we continue to equip leaders with biblical skills for a lifetime of ministry. And welcome back to the Canicuck Institute podcast. Chad Hampsh with you once again, and uh, kind of got a treat for y'all today. For for those of y'all that are alumni out there, y'all probably vividly remember Dr. Glenn Kreider, uh, one of our professors. He comes from Dallas Theological Seminary every year, teaches on the theology of God, and um, and and just insightful in so many ways. And so grateful, Glenn. Thank you so much for being here in Branson. It's good to have you back. It's great to be here. Tell the audience, and, and some of our students know you, you've been here for a long time. Some of you have been out for a long time. Just a little bit about your faith story and, and, and how you came to faith, and, and how did you end up now doing what you do, which is investing in the next generation? Yeah, so I grew up in a, in a Christian family, in a Christian home. I grew up in the church, um, have been a believer. I, I literally cannot remember a time when I didn't believe the facts of the gospel. And I really don't think I can remember a time where I didn't believe that the facts of the gospel were uh, related to me by grace through faith. But I've always been the person in the room who's asking questions and trying to figure out how stuff fits together. I, I didn't know until much later that I was wired to be a systematic theologian. Uh, when things don't fit, or when I hear contradictory things, or when I hear dismissive treatment of what seemed to me important topics. I'm trying to figure out how to put them together. So uh, it it's not it's really not surprising, I guess. Eventually, I ended up studying uh, the systematic theology, which is a way of integrating all the truth about God from any and every source. And then ended up at—I went to Dallas for both a master's and a PhD, and was fortunate enough to be asked to join the faculty. And so, I mean, it's it, um, there have been a handful of jobs in my life, a handful of things that I've done that I've pursued. Most of what has come my way has come as a gift of God's grace. So. Uh, you mentioned your love for systematic theology. And um, I think for a lot of people, Glenn, and, and you probably see this in the seminary a lot, but they hear the word theology and it immediately pushes something inside them. Mm. I'm not a theologian. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I care about the gospel, but I don't care about theology. A lot of that attitude. Where do you think that stems from, and what what are the misconceptions <laughs> that we need to unpack about that? Yeah, I think that that's our fault. I think it comes from theologians, self-identified theologians, heresy hunters, defenders of the faith, attackers of people who hold different views that create in the minds of people a a negative attitude and. And I really do think the way we do theology is as is incredibly important. So what I do in my first theology course, uh, which is on theological method, we define what theology is. And if theology is words about God, then everybody has some view of God and lives in light of that. Atheists are theologians. They mm. reject belief in God or believe, reject that there's enough reason to believe in God. They are ah theists. They are not theists. So yeah. uh, to, to try to help people understand, I guess, two things. One, that in a real sense, we all are responding to this God who created the world in which we live. But then secondly, we, there, are, there are different categories. So there's a sense in which everybody is a scientist. Everybody is an accountant. But then there are people whose discipline is in that field. So um, you know, everybody thinks about God, and you know, our questions about the Bible are theological questions. So, how do we how do we read, and why do we read these texts the way that we do? The gospel is a theological question. What 
what is the gospel and how do we communicate it? Those are those are important questions. But but I really do think we have a we theologians have a public relations problem, and it is increasingly important for us to model in the world in which we live the the grace and compassion and mercy of the God we claim to represent. Yeah, that's good. Just so I make sure I'm hearing you correctly in our audiences, essentially theology is the study of God. It's, it it is what the words of God are saying in scripture. And, and if we love God or want to know God, there's great valuing value in us knowing theology is that, am I hearing you correctly? I'm going to push back a little bit on the language of study of God. Um, We don't actually study God. Because God is not an object that we can study. In order for us to understand anything about him, he has to come to us. So the historic word definition of theology is words or discourse about God, I think is a whole lot better. So we're talking about who this God is, and we're doing so based upon how he has come to make himself known to us in the Bible, of course. Uh, but as we read through the Bible, we realize he, dis- he claims to have revealed himself in the world that he has created, his eternal power, divine nature, Romans 1 says, are plain and clear. And then ultimately, he's revealed in his Son. Uh, and w- if somebody says to me, but we don't have access to the Son, well, yes, you do. The Church is the body of Christ. That, In a real sense, we don't have this one-to-one relationship with the incarnate Jesus who's walking on the earth, but we do have this one to one relationship with his eyes and hands and feet and spleen, and I'm not identifying any of yeah. those things for any of us. So you you mentioned there, uh, you know, relationship with God, and mm-hmm. um, you know, we're not going to get into high level theology, but really, um, it's a wonderful truth of the Christian faith that that we can actually have a relationship with God. When we say we can have a relationship with God, what does that actually mean? And, and maybe a second part to that question, Glenn, is how is that unique? to the Christian faith versus maybe maybe other religions or belief mm. systems. Yeah, it's pretty hard to talk about that without some degree of high-level theology. <clears throat> here's, what, here's what we believe, that the creator of the universe, the sovereign, transcendent, omniscient, omnipotent one, so wants to be known that he created a world that, in, to which he can demonstrate who he is. And he created human beings in his image and likeness. And he has condescended, I really like that word, humbled himself and come to us. We could never have a relationship with God unless he takes the initiative, if for no other reason that we wouldn't even exist unless God had taken the initiative to bring the universe into existence, make the earth a habitable place, ordained that we were born when we were born, and all of those things that are part, so that God so wants to be known. So it's called a relationship because it's a, it's a real, I don't know how to, I don't have another word other than relationship. We, we have this real interaction with a real person, actually three persons in the, in the Godhead, so that in the same way that we understand a bit how it's like to, what it's like to have a relationship with human beings, we have a relationship with the creator of human beings mm. uh, because he has taken the initiative to come to us. But what's different about this relationship from other from human relationships is that I can see you and I can smell you and I can touch you and I can be annoyed by you and all of those things that make relationships hard. God, on the other hand, is not 
visible and tangible in the same way that a relationship with a human being mm. is. And so there's a mist, there's a sense of mystery involved. Um, that is, I think, I think part of it comes down then to the uh, the reality that according to the scriptures, particularly Jesus and the New Testament writers, uh, the most important thing summarizes the law and the prophets is that you love God and love others. Mm. And as John says, you how can you love God whom you've never seen and not love your brother whom you have who you have seen? So in a real sense, our relationship to God is mediated through our relationship with other people. It's people other than ourselves. Yeah, it's 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 mediated through relationship with people. I know, um, I know what God is like because I've interacted with God's people, and it's and they have not always been perfectly like God, but we have this revelation of who God is and how He is. So we're able to assess when somebody is not. And then we re- remember that we're not perfect either. I-, I think this is also true, that relationships are always evolving and changing and developing. God doesn't change in who he is. But surely there's a difference in the way God related to me when I was six years old than when he relates to me now that I'm 36 years old. Yeah. Don't argue with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Um as we interact with with people walking out their faith, um, I know I hear a lot of people um, wrestling with this idea of my relationship with God feels like a checklist, and almost Glenn like they're they're trying to earn their father's love. You know, I'm, I, I got to have a quiet time. I got to go to church. I got you know, and they they develop this kind of checklist mentality in their mindset. What what encouragement would you have for them just to rightly orient? that idea of the disciplines and their value, but also how our motives play into that. It's so hard to turn back the clock. It's so hard to get back into a world that doesn't exist. In fact, it's impossible. The Christianity has always taken on the characteristics of the cultural context in which it is found. And in a, in, a, in a culture like ours, which is driven by pragmatism and success um, and bottom line and checklist. Per- uh, performance. Performance. Yeah. Legalism in all of its forms is a, is a really attractive thing. And so Christians read their Bible and Christians pray. But then when we try to quantify that, it's when it gets it gets really difficult. So how much do I need to read the Bible? In what version of the Bible? And all of these relationships are fluid and developing. And they are just, I mean, what I probably should have said is, is this. To say the, um, the solution to legalism and checklists is to throw the things away. Mm. But that sounds terrifying to people because, and I think that's part of it, because these checklists give us control. So I know I'm okay if I've done this amount of reading in the morning, and and then confirmation bias comes in, and so I view the my what happens to me as if it's a result of having something yeah. that I did, and it, that I think a lot of it comes back to a proper understanding of who God is. And a proper understanding of his grace, mm-hmm. which is unmerited favor, which is never earned, which is never deserved, which is never repaid, which is never owed, 
and it's a it's a gift and it is hard to be loved yeah so you you talked about that unmerited favor and just um really i think a picture of the drivers and why we do the things we do so what is what is the posture of our heart need to be for for a redeemed heart for for someone that has received that unmerited favor for you practically even in your own intimacy with the lord what what does that posture look like for you to make sure your motives are right your heart is right uh, the things you're doing aren't out of that performance m- mindset. It's uh, the truth is my motives are never right, and the tendency to view myself as much more important than I am mm. is a real thing. I think the proper response to grace is gratitude. Mm. And the more we appreciate how little I deserve, in fact, I deserve nothing. Um, I deserve to be rejected by this God, and, but that God's God is faithful and persistent and consistent. Mm. We've all re- lived in the United States of in America. We've lived in a world where love is reciprocal, where relationships are fragile. I mean, you can lose a, a fifty-year relationship because of one dumb thing. That I mean, that we know that's true. That we've been raised to believe that we have much more power than we than we think we do and it's really helpful for me to be constantly reminded that if the standard that the culture puts on me is one of perfection i will never be good enough mm-hmm. so does that mean i don't bother i don't try at all no i i serve god and i want i want him to be pleased because of what he has and continues to do for me so that my my response to him is out of love and gratitude. I, I, I am absolutely convinced that trying to motivate people through fear, shame, and guilt is never effective. Mm. Fear works short term, but only for a short period of time because yeah. then the fear disappears. And um, or you get like, how many times do you, are you threatened not to? drive above the speed limit. We slow down when we see a cop, but yeah. like, like the speed limit signs are, are, are just a waste of resources, really, until you get stopped. And then the next couple of days, you yeah. drive a little bit. Uh, and shame. I mean, shame loves to live in the darkness. And as I tell people all the time, shame never comes from God. And there's no point in trying to hide from God because he already sees anyhow. Mm-hmm. He already knows. And to be to be known as I am, to be loved as I am, not because of or in spite of, but because for reasons known to God, He's chosen to to love. So fear and shame, and then guilt. Many of us have been trained to live in guilt and regret. And the 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 older I live, the more I have to regret and feel sorry for. But you can't change the past. You can't undo it. So this is what I learned growing up. In my family of origin, if you're really, 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 really sorry, then it'll be okay. But I could never figure out how many reallys were necessary. And then they would say, if you're really, 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 really sorry, you'll never do it again. And I just, there, whoops, there we go again. So good. Um, So if you were to, to summarize for our listening audience to go, man, if I were, if, if you just wanted to encourage them to go, hey. Here's what I would encourage you to do to to walk in intimacy with God, to have a relationship with God, and to continue to grow out of a right a right heart, a right motive. If you could just kind of summarize, what what would you encourage them with? If you 
believe the gospel, <clears throat> if you are a child of God, he loves you. And his love is not conditional. His love is permanent. His love is eternal. His love is gracious and kind. And he wants the best for you. And so, so because all of that is true, that's where you go when you mess up. That's where you go when you're looking for meaning and hope and encouragement. You, you run to him and his word, and you experience, you accept and experience that love. And I, I get, that's just one of the hardest things for many of us to forgive ourselves, to acknowledge and recognize that it is possible for God so to love me that he sent his son mm. and he sent his spirit and he, he has promised, I will never leave. There's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. There is nothing you can do to make me run away from you. There, you don't have that much power. Uh, and I, I think being reminded of that, yeah. I, I remind myself of that on a regular basis because I live in a world of performance. Mm -hmm. I live in a world where, what have you done lately? I live in a world of valuations and all of those kind of things. But God, none of those things are the way God operates. And I don't, but I don't want to be heard as saying your performance doesn't matter because it, we should never presume that we could do whatever we want because we, we respond to God out of love hmm. because he really does love us. He yeah. really does. Yeah. <laughs> it's really true. And I love that Romans 12 passage that talks about the renewing of our mind, the idea that we, we really have to be reminded of the gospel. We have to be reminded of God's grace being sufficient. We have to be reminded that we're going to fall short and that we're still loved, not because of what we have done, but because of who we are. We are a child of God. And what a great reminder for our listening audience to walk in that. And man, if I just had an encouragement as a friend through the years, it would be just that. Uh, be reminded of who you are and who he is. And he will always inform us of who we are. And we as believers get the opportunity to live out this idea of being a child of God and to walk in obedience out of a, a heart posture that loves God because of what he's done on our behalf, not because um, he, I somehow have to fill this checklist of do's and don'ts. And so hope you're encouraged today um, by our time with Glenn. Thank you so much for being in studio with us and obviously teaching our students this week. Um, we, we miss you. Um, can't wait to hear from you guys again. Thanks for joining us here on the Canna Institute podcast.